0: Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of A Gospel Treasury, a study about Jesus Christ according to all four Gospels. Today, we are looking into how the evangelists start out their writings. We'll be looking at how they introduce their accounts. We will read something from every Gospel, except for Matthew. Matthew immediately begins with a genealogy which is a list of generational names. We will delay the hotly anticipated genealogy discussion until we meet the topic in the Gospel of Luke. Then we will, be, we will bring the two lists together. The translation read throughout the, ep- the episodes will be the NIV, I say this with awareness that people can get very territorial when it comes to the Bible translations. The NIV is a preferred option for me personally for two simple reasons. English is my second language, as most of you likely suspected from the very beginning, and some basic research suggests the NIV as the most dynamic in its conveyance of meaning and grammar. In the event of any considerable differences, we will be comparing a variety of translations and look into the Greek original. And now we will begin with Mark, reading just a single first verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. A big majority of other translations read The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The English word gospel comes from a Middle English term, god spell, meaning a good story or a good news, similarly to what the Greek original Evangelio means, hence the word evangelist. In the epistle to Romans, Paul the Apostle wrote, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here and other passages of the New Testament refer specifically to the good news about Jesus Christ. The term gospel is presently used exclusively in regards to the preaching about Jesus Christ and on a much, scale, much smaller scale for defining a particular variant of Christian music. The name and the title Jesus Christ are Greek words for Hebrew Yeshua Messiah. Yeshua is commonly pronounced in English as Joshua, meaning God is salvation, which is also a uh, who is also a major character of the Old Testament. Messiah means the anointed one, and this is the way Mark chose to begin his account, explicitly giving Jesus the title as the chosen one, the son of God, in the very first sentence. Now we will read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind... Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Interesting fact about Luke's writing. Together with the book of Acts, He wrote the largest part of the New Testament by a total word count. Luke is mentioned by Paul the Apostle in the epistle to Colossians as a beloved physician. Not much else is known about him other that he was a well-traveled man, and hearing Mary many narratives about Jesus, he was motivated to research the life of Christ and likely considered the writings of Matthew and Mark. Luke was not an eyewitness in the life of Jesus. He had to investigate. His orderly account does not necessarily mean chronological. In multiple cases, Luke prefers a transition of a topic rather than event. Nothing is known about the most excellent Theophilus, to whom his writing is addressed. Theophilus means a friend of God or a lover of God, and he likely had a major role in distributing Luke's writing. From the way Luke puts it, Theophilus heard much and was taught much about Jesus, and this account presented for Theophilus and everyone else listening It was a confirmation of the things that they have been instructed in the past. As NASB translation puts it, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. And for the remainder of this episode, we will look over the Evangelist John's introduction. His approach requires more time and more thinking to get used to. Let's begin with the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. John the Elder, as he refers to himself in his epistles, takes us back to before the creation of the earth. His discourse, along with the rest of the Bible, is recognized as divinely inspired. Yet every author in the Bible displays a different aim of that inspiration. John's writings are enveloped in a more mysterious aura. Through John, God reveals perhaps more than any other writer, the inner nature of God, not only about his works or commands. When reading John, I get the impression that people wanted some clarification about God and Jesus, and they received a lot more than they bargained for. In the book of Genesis, we read, And God said, Let there be light. John the Elder points that this word Is Jesus Himself. The Greek term used here is logos, not merely a spoken word. Greeks have a different uh, expression for that, rama. Logos is not just a spoken word, it's an idea or a reason. In the beginning, there was a reason for everything. The reason was with God, and the reason was God. The reason is Jesus. This Logos was with God in the beginning, meaning before anything was ever made, He already existed. Jesus always was in a relationship with God, and Jesus was the idea behind the creation of our universe. Paul the Apostle wrote, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. If Christ was the firstborn, doesn't that mean that he had to be made or created first? In a general biblical context, the word firstborn is a rank, not a chronological origin. It is a recognition of privileges, which helps explain why in the Old Testament, Jacob was so eager to take that rank away from his older brother Esau. John adds more to that thought in the most popular verse of the bible with ironically one of the most difficult terms as accurately relayed in the king james version only begotten son for god so loved loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to beget does not mean to create or to make in a sense like a man is making a house or a book. To beget is to cause, to produce as an effect, such as words that are begotten from a thought or a mind. The Strong's concordance adds unique to the definition of begotten. This relation is not easy to understand. Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy that Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy Timothy 3, verse 16. The Greek for great is familiar to the English speakers. Mega, overwhelmingly large. This is a mega mystery. It is unlikely we will be able to draw a more coherent schematic of God's relationship to Jesus. A human nature is in a fallen state and so is a human understanding of the omnipotence of God. In the simplest term, Jesus is uniquely God's. Moving on to verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Many theologians say the easiest way to explain Scripture is to quote more Scripture. I would add, the easiest way to explain John is to quote more John. In chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they, the people, may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. In his epistle, chapter 5, verse 12, John does not cut any corners in terms of the condition of a human soul when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This life is providing light for the people. Contrary to a popular belief, it wasn't Prometheus who originally campaigned for us humans in this regard. We read in Genesis chapter 1 verse four, God saw that the light was good and He separated the light from the darkness. What advantage does the light have over darkness? Light brings life. Living is impossible without light. Light travels at a speed of 300,000 kilometers per second, or 671 million miles per hour. If the sun would suddenly quit on us, we would have a grand total of eight minutes until total darkness. And the average global surface temperature will reach sub-freezing temperatures within a week. The nature of light is to shine and dispel darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness has no power over light. You never hear anyone say, "Turn off the darkness." Instead we say, "Turn on the light." First John chapter 1 verse 5. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Satan represents the power of darkness. The King James Version of our main text reads, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. To his disciples Jesus said, The ruler of this world, Satan, is coming, and he has nothing in me. Lord willing, we will continue our study next week with verses 6 through 18 from John chapter 1. And I can think of no better way to conclude this episode than with the opening verse of John's first epistle. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim. Concerning the Word of Life Farewell